This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Pints and Politics UK. I'm Johnny, hosting, and it's another solo because, unlike last time when it was my fault, and I had a marketing meeting actually that I completely forgot about, left Adam in the lurch. I've now sort of received my own treatment where Adam has an application actually for the Royal Navy position, a Royal Navy position. So that's really interesting. Really hope he gets it. I know how much he wants the opportunity to to work in that in that field and I wish him all the best. It turns out that this application has sort of sprung on him or the deadlines have sort of come up a lot quicker than he was expecting and now all of a sudden uh, he can't be doing this podcast. Well, priorities in check, Adam, come on. This is far more important than the job that you want to be doing um, in the not-too-distant future, but in all seriousness, Best wishes are with Adam as he goes through the rigorous application process. I know he's working hard with his fitness. I know he's working hard with uh, the written elements of it as well. So, no, from this end, absolutely uh, wishing him all the best on that front. In terms of substitutes, we've had Gus before, and Gus, the ever-reliable super sub like Javier Hernandez or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, to quote a football reference, he's, he's not here. He couldn't do this. It was too short no- notice for him. And then the two other people uh, who I know, who I happen to know, uh, wonderful girl, wonderful guy, uh, who I'm mates with, uh, also with an avid interest in politics, both of them also couldn't do it. So unfortunately, you're now left in my presence, uh, which means no debate, which means a shortened um, podcast. But it does mean that you get, I suppose, unrivaled access to my own uh, political thoughts and uh, feelings on the latest events that are unfolding. And it's been a really busy week and I had a, I had a big debate planned on Brexit, so I'm just going to have to talk to you about some of my thoughts really on the five-year anniversary that we celebrated last Monday. Well, let's go back and we'll go to uh, the biggest story this week. I, I suppose the biggest one that's come out has been probably related to the possibility of Double vaccinated people having the option to not quarantine. I say the option is not quarantine. No one would quarantine if they had the option to not do so. So essentially removing the possibility of removing quarantine restrictions on anyone that travels abroad. And of course, that will come into effect uh, with a variety of countries that, of course, at the moment in the UK, they are... Um, they do require you to come back and they do require you to quarantine, uh, some for a longer period of time than others. And essentially, this is almost trying to give the green light to people to say, you know what, to, to quote the traffic light system, then you know what, there is an opportunity for you to go away this summer. Now, quite how possible this is remains to be seen. I know a few people have already said and come out and said, right, even though, it, even though it's um, quite a big statement in terms of, uh, one, it should be a boost for the vaccine to, to intake. Absolutely. If if people want to go away, they have to be double vaccinated. Otherwise, facing strict quarantines uh, after the the holiday. Um, yeah, it's going to. I would imagine it 
it's it's trying to push even more for the for the um take up of the vacuum scene but it's also trying to push the um holiday industry back up back on track because it's taken a pelting since the start of the pandemic and there's so many smaller businesses in that sector that are well if they've not gone bust already they're they're very much on the verge of collapse and something really has to be done and to be honest this seems like a measure that can help on two fronts like i say it can help combat the pandemic and the rise in cases theoretically because more people would be inclined i feel uh whether it's right or not to make it like that to to make these exceptions for people who've been double vaccinated yeah, is, is another matter but no doubt it would incentivize a certain amount of people who haven't yet got the vaccine to go and get vaccinated um with that incentive in mind with the holiday incentive in mind and then from the holiday company's perspective it gives a real avenue because we know there's going to be a lot of people that are double vaccinated uh in the coming months there's going to be a lot of younger people that aren't unfortunately they might have received the first vaccine but it would be unlikely that they've got double vaccinations um particularly uh when everything supposedly uh the new freedom date of 19th of july comes around but yeah, I think oh, my my thoughts on this generally are um, it makes scientific sense and it makes economic sense. So it's a possibility that it does come into play. But what 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 we we discussed this with Adam last week. Where does the line stop? Because if you say this is for a venue or this is an opportunity for people who've received both vaccines. Uh, then you get, I suppose, the, the, it's difficult because it, it kind of pushes you into doing things because you're isolated there from people who have had the vaccine. And even though that seems like a good thing, theoretically, it's not necessarily because, of course, there's going to be lots of people with exemptions, people with mental health problems, people with um, phobias of vaccines, People who won't take it on religious grounds, people who have bought into the scare stories that have stuck onto many areas, many local areas that have over overridden government guidance, government advice. Um, and you're upsetting and scaring quite a lot of people if you try and force something upon them. And then, remember, you can't really force anything upon someone in a democratic uh, society that's an authoritarian rule as adam rightly said last week so that's the only quandary there and i'm on the opinion actually that it still should be choice despite everything it still should be choice if everyone thought like that and everyone had the same doubts then okay you've got a problem because you know you theoretically you do need the majority of society to be to be vaccinated that that is the reality in terms of the in terms of the quickest and more, most efficient way of dealing with this with this virus but it makes sense because the majority of people still need to have the vaccine to combat the virus quickly and efficiently or at least without trying to do it in a natural sense of course but i think we have got a majority of the population on board i think we've got something like at least 70 or 75% of the population don't quote me on those figures but from what i can see from what i can gather the numbers are going up and up and up every day about people who are having first doses people who've been double vaccinated not too many that's been double vaccinated yet because that's been you know the way the government did it was to to get everyone the first jab first 
again, I think almost for vanity reasons to say, look who's topping the uh, tree of the, of the most vaccines across the world. And then obviously it would be the UK. So I think, so I think there was a bit of that in it, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think we're already, the majority are already on board. And if the majority are already on board, then that minority who, for whatever reason, will not get on board with it. While there's the argument, we've had it, so they should too. You've also got to try and put yourself in their mindset. What are they thinking? How scared are they? You know, it's easy to think people just aren't getting it because they can't be bothered. You know, if that's genuinely the mindset, then I'm slightly concerned about those individuals that can't be bothered. Um, but I think it's a lot more complex for a lot more people. Um, and the coronavirus and the pandemic and the lockdowns have been really, really tough mentally for a lot of people. So I think we've always got to bear that in mind. And that's why, yeah, that's why that's why I'm always a bit concerned about trying to force this upon people. However, just just on the on the topic of the the holiday makers, though, and the and the possibility of of, of reinvigorating, rebooting that sector, um, I do think that with because traveling away is something maybe that. It's really difficult because it's not quite as, as severe as making as bringing localized vaccine passports where you can't enter bars, you can't enter pubs, you can't enter venues within the local community if you've not got a vaccine. Uh, that to me seems quite almost authoritarian and quite could be quite nasty and quite prejudiced again towards people who, for whatever reason, didn't take it up. As the reasons I've just mentioned. But travelling away, I suppose, is slightly different. The only thing I can, the only caveat I can think is if one person in the family who had mental health issues didn't take it for whatever reason, and then they weren't allowed to go on holiday with the rest of the family that did, that would be quite a horrible thing to think about. Um, so, while well, I can see it being beneficial on two fronts, uh, getting the, the more of the population vaccinated than already is, and and hopefully giving a reboot to the uh, to the travel industry economy. Um, I think it comes with problems. And that's why, of course, nothing's official yet. And, of course, it, it, I've already heard that if, if this did become a thing, it's, it's, it's in a few months' time as opposed to next month, um, depending on what you read. People are a bit more sceptical about that just rolling out next month along with the uh, other easing of restrictions if they do come around on, on July the 19th. But anyway, um, linking to that, we've got an update on the the tier system tier system going back away there the traffic light system which is basically the tier system but traffic light colors on countries that are essentially going to be green or amber or red and you know it's again this is this is an interesting i mean amber says you shouldn't go but it doesn't say that you can't go and then red you really shouldn't go i, I don't think you can go to red and then green green you can go to and it's yeah i mean many places have managed to go on the amber list which is upsetting to the economies of their countries and anyone that wanted to go there really because it becomes quite difficult with quarantining and with the suggestion you shouldn't really go if it's just a holiday it's quite it's quite difficult but in terms of the green list i think some of the standouts on the green list we've got malta got the british virgin islands cayman islands and uh and ibiza we've got ibiza as well i think ibiza is probably the standout one there um 
Madeira, lots of islands, lots of islands. And I imagine that's because also be less COVID spread on an island because of less population and, and so on. But I suppose, yeah, I, I mean, no, oh, North Korea stays on the amber list as, as politics for all comments. So uh, if anyone was thinking of going there, um, yeah, as well as the quarantining and the difficulties of having an amber list, I, I don't think I don't think I recommend that. Not at this time, anyway. Maybe not on most times, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I I guess for the for those countries uh, for those countries mainly islands really if if not all islands on the green list particularly Ibiza they will be particularly looking forward to uh, a surge in, in people coming over maybe not just from the UK but from other places that they are basically I, I know Ibiza and other islands run heavily on the tourist economy so they will be absolutely you know delighted with that verdict. From the UK government, and they'll also be delighted to welcome practically anyone over, I would imagine, uh, because, again, they are desperate for for a surge. Their economy is heavily reliant on tourism. And, yeah, who can blame them for opening the door? It's been a very tough um, period of time for a very long time, economically and, obviously, in terms of, in terms of health. But the economy needs to boom somehow, and, and that's probably... Ibiza's way and, and many other people's ways of of, boot, of boosting it by getting people to come over, by getting people to spend frivolously on on uh, holidaying um, escapades, and and that's uh, that's how those little islands work. Um, yeah, and, and and I'm sure there'll be many many British people excited at the prospect of going to Ibiza. But again, it's important to stress these this traffic light system um, does vary, does fluctuate. This promise of being able to not quarantine with two vaccines, this idea uh, is still in the alpha stage, and it might not come into place for quite a while. Because again, the flaw, another flaw to that is is the idea that many young people won't have received the second vaccine or won't receive the second vaccine for quite some time. So, I've got to bear all this in mind. Anyway, uh, also on the agenda, um, yeah, there's a really interesting one actually about. Uh, this ship thing, it was like a battle of the testosterone between, I think the, it was a Royal Navy ship off Crimea, um, and it had a big row between Russia and the UK. Boris Johnson sticking up for the Royal Navy, of course. Russia not happy. Uh, so the Royal Navy destroyer HMS Defender briefly sailed through territorial waters off the coast of the disputed territory of Crimea. This upset the Russians. Uh, a bit of yeah, you know, he sunk my battleship, blah, blah, blah. No one got injured or attacked. It seems to be much ado about nothing, really, I think. Um, but just, again, I suppose it's just a bit of testosterone against testosterone. Um, what can you say? I, I don't really know the ins and outs of it. It didn't seem particularly interesting, but it did make late-night news after the football. So that was uh, that was something to keep an eye on. But it does seem, as I say, uh, a, bit, a bit much ado about nothing, I think, to be honest with you. Oh, this was quite a funny one. So... Department of Education want Britain to sing a One Britain, One Nation Day song on June the 25th. About as cheesy and strange as it possibly can get, I must say. I used to work in China. Kids in China used to sing, as well as the Chinese national anthem, they used to sing patriotic songs weekly. It was something they did. It was normalised in China. I always found it a bit strange that kids as young as three or four years old were sort of going into that unrivaled patriotism because there was nothing to really challenge it. And then... Um, 
yeah, there was a touch of that in there. There was a touch of this allowing populism to seep in from an early age, indoctrination, yeah. I mean, there were some some references to Nazi Germany. While you can make the comparisons loosely, I think it's a bit disrespectful to what just what, what went on. In, in that in that period of time and uh, to be fair to anyone that was making the comparison I think they were sort of linking it back to the early stages but I don't think really you know with the with the pejorative nature of the, of the word Nazi and, and all the connotations that come with it you can't really throw that into the bed here um, you can't and that's just yeah uh, it, it's a bit it, it, it's a stretch it's a strange, but it is strange, and it did remind me a bit of China. Not a fan, really. Um, hope it doesn't. Well, I can't imagine it becoming, you know, normalised or, or forced upon us. I mean, again, if it's forced upon us, that is somewhat authoritarian, a bit creepy, but doubt it. Think it'll, think it'll die down. Uh, well, they said it was just for June the twenty fifth. I can't imagine they'll be doing it on a weekly basis or even a, even a monthly basis or anything. Again, freedom of speech and all that. Anyway. Um, John Burko defected to Labour as well. John Burko, for anyone that doesn't know, used to be the uh, chair in the House of uh, Commons. He was a Conservative all of his all of his uh, time in there. Now he's defected to Labour. Called Boris Johnson um, quite well, not names as such, but criticised him quite heavily. And the Tory government at present said they're basically untrustworthy. Uh, they're not the party that he you know he he supported. That he was a member of, he was a he was a member of Parliament of. So, yeah, he is now defected to Labour. Sees them as the most realistic challenger to them, and hopefully they can do something. Hopefully, Sir Keir Starmer can do some. I mean, not in the short term. There's been a bit of a. I mean, I know critics like Owen Jones and some of the some of the hard left members of the Labour Party like to bring Keir Starmer down at every opportunity. Sir Keir Starmer and. They they make a fair point and valid point that he has to, he has navigated away from the thing that actually got him elected the policies that got him elected. But I do think that what he's trying to do is for the best of the party and for the well when I say the best of the party I mean for the best of the electability of the party at least in the future. And I know they will quite quite rightly point to the the numbers in the YouGov polls that are not looking too good for Labour. But let's remember Jeremy Corbyn, who I supported and admired a great deal. He was on, I think, 51. 51 at one point on the on the uh, YouGov poll. But unfortunately, those YouGov polls don't really mean anything unless a, unless a general election is coming around the corner. It doesn't matter whether you're 20 points behind, whether you're 20 points ahead, like they used to quote with Corbyn, to be fair. It only matters in those six weeks up until the up until the elections. Well, of course it matters. Of course it matters. It's like a low, it's like a barometer. It's like a mock exam, or it's like a class test. It's not even a mock exam. It's a class test, and there are several by elections that aren't going Labour's way, and that is a shame. It is, um, but I, I'm not of the mindset that. From what I've seen of Keir Starmer, he seems like a, a respectable, honest, decent man that isn't moderate left. He seems quite central. And quite a lot of the people in Labour just don't seem to want to accept that, I think. So he's, it's a really difficult position for him. It's a really difficult job. I hope he can ride out this storm that he can, that he can help to sort of turn those poles around because, quite frankly, I don't think the left 
have too much love for him at the moment, and many of them haven't for you know since he really took power. Um, but quite clearly, the previous direction wasn't working, as as noted in that last general election. So, let's get this pandemic out of the way, and then let's get Labour back on track. I'm saying that not as a not as a a Labour spokesperson, but as someone that wants a, a fully functioning democracy with an opposition and a government that are competing, as opposed to you know a one party state. Otherwise, if we, you know democracy isn't the democracy if we're a one party state, and we've been in conservative rule now for a very long time. So yeah. Anyway, I'm going to touch on five years of Brexit. Five years since Brexit this Monday. Uh, this was going to be the debate this week, but we can't have it. Uh, unfortunately, might scale that back to next week now because there is five years since I was reading the Daily Express. Actually, uh, it's not my newspaper of choice. Very pro Brexit, quite right wing too. But it, you know, it's. I mean, it said actually that if there were to be an, uh, another election on the on the day now, from what we can gather. And this is an this is a pro Brexit paper that Remain would probably win fifty one forty nine. What that does show is, well, it shows that there has been a slight change of opinion from fifty two forty eight the other way. But it does show that we've got a heavily divided nation, and that's one of the worst things about Brexit that it over, it, it illustrated just how divided we are on so many issues. We've already got right versus left, and then we had Leave versus Remain which was, again, similar to right versus left. But then you have people on the left voting leave and people on the right voting remain. It, you know, but it was very toxic tribalism between two people. And if you were a leave supporter, you'd get abuse from remain and, and vice versa. And really, there was no real middle ground, no relevance for any middle ground, just much like in the in the tribalism between people on the moderate right and people on the moderate left. They don't have time met for many people in the middle. I was a Remainer, and the more I've researched it, I'll, I'll still stick to being a Remainer. The, the benefits to Brexit is really difficult. I'm being as unbiased as I possibly can here, but economically, when you look at the figures, the data, the statistics, everything you want to look at, we, are, we were never going to be better off outside of the single market. And if we are ever going to be we'd have to be pretty bloody amazing for a very long, sustained period of time because the European Union single market is a behemoth. It's a financial behemoth. You've got China, ridiculous economy. You've got the United States, ridiculous economy. And it's it's also powered by big manpower. China's got a population of over 1 billion people. United States got a population, I think, of over, uh, well, it's not quite a billion, but several hundred million you know, maybe 500, I'm not sure. The European Union single market is the third the third economic superpower, the economic supergiant. There is a big drop when you go from China and America to countries individually within the EU. I mean, England, Britain is near the top of the economies in Europe, but that's minuscule compared to America and China. Um, you know, and, that, and that's quite simply down to the fact we have much less in terms of population, so much less manpower or people power. I should probably be saying that much less people power, um, and 
and and ultimately ultimately we we, we as part of the uh, single market and part of the European Union we d- were part of a big pond and we were swimming in it and now we're in a paddling pool. We talk about making deals with other countries. I mean, the deal with Australia marginally better than single existing deals maybe before but in the grand scheme of things the deal with australia is a drop in the ocean compared to the amount of deals that we did within within the single market within within the european union it's a drop in the ocean you'd have to do hundreds of those little deals to even get remotely start to build back the losses that you have within the single market so from an economic standpoint, and I'm, I, this isn't even biased, it, it doesn't make any sense, and not for a long time. The Brexit optimist will tell you, you know, this is a long-term project, and yeah, maybe it is, but it's a very long-term project because this is we're not thinking over a couple of years. This is decades, maybe a century, before Britain even starts to become a, anything close to to being a financial superpower and, and that's as I said that's almost impossible when you consider how small of an island we are so yeah don't agree with well I, I, I don't I, I'll be yeah I'm gonna lay my cards out I didn't agree with Brexit I still find it baffling what I would say is that in t- and, it, and as I say it has left division and it and it also has been used as a political obstacle to excuse a lot of misdemeanors. So if people make valid points like pointing to statistics or facts or or the truth, politicians can simply say, oh, you're not being patriotic, you're not Brexit, you're not a true Brexiteer, you don't believe in the country, and using populism to deflect away from from the truth and from 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 answering questions. So it's been used as a bit of a political shield, which isn't good. What I would say, on the other hand, because I don't want to be too biased, in those five years since, Project Fear hasn't really been completely, um, completely proved. You know, it, it, it was an over exaggeration. So we haven't seen mass food shortages. We haven't, you know, every single household hasn't lost. You know, the thousands of pounds that were sort of intimated that they would lose. Um, I think that there were, I can't remember all of them, but I do remember that Project Fear, the scare factor, there was a lot of that from the Conservative government at the time, or, or at least the Prime Minister at the time, David Cameron and his team. There was a lot of that, and it's not all coming to fruition, granted. At the same time, the, Breg- the, the benefits for the Breg- for Brexit really haven't either, um, which makes you think, what was the point? And the, there certainly have been more drug. I mean, today, on the Thursday, we even saw that uh, EE now will be charging you for um, roaming data in, in European countries if you're from Britain, but not in European Union, uh, not, not for anyone within the EU, but for people within Britain. So again... It, it all boils down really to, well, no, before I get to that, I will say some of the things, the vaccine rollout, I, whether how much Brexit benefited it, it remains to be seen, but I do think it would have played a part because to me, 
European vaccine rollout wasn't the quickest. Had to go through a lot of regulation, had to go through a lot of discussions, decided how it would be distributed, whereas Britain just got on with it. And they were ahead of the game, got ahead of the game on the vaccine rollout. It was one of the best things the Conservative government's done in the response to this pandemic. So I'll, I'll, I'll partially credit the independent sovereignty of Britain there because I think it allowed them to get ahead of the game slightly on their European neighbours a little bit by just simply doing instead of talking. And a small thing as well, I think abolishing the uh, the tampon tax, so the EU law minimum of 5% tax on all sanitary products, that's barbaric. Absolutely barbaric. And to be fair, I'm glad we've got rid of that. That does make me, it doesn't really affect me, but it affects a lot of people, a lot of women as well. So yeah, I'm quite uh, quite happy with that one. Apart from that, I must say, does it make us more interesting? Possibly that I found China quite interesting when I went there and you had to have a, you had to have a tourist visa, couldn't get in by being a member of the European Union at the time and, and all of this and, and there's something quite unknown about China and quite exciting and quite different. Maybe it does that to Britain a little bit, that it's quite difficult to get there, that it's separated from all of the European countries, that it stands alone, that it stands apart. You know, many people like to see Britain like that, so I suppose you could argue with that independence, with the difficulty in coming in that but the fact it's actually literally separated from the rest of Europe, it is an island. I think maybe it does add to a bit of an intrigue for any any foreign visitors, maybe, particularly those from Asia who were besotted with England and the United Kingdom. So maybe it does do that as well. Um, however, another, I mean, also losing freedom of movement as well. While it's a promise of Brexit, you know, Inevitably, we're going to have some shortages in certain sectors because we have some brilliant foreign workers um, from Europe who won't be able to come anymore because it's much more difficult, it's much more tailored the new immigration system to high-skilled workers as opposed to low-skilled workers, which is a bit of an insult to those uh, cleaners, staff, who who work so hard in Britain. It's quite sad, really. Ultimately, it's going to be written about, I think, in 50 years. Or I can imagine it being written about in this time. Discussed, maybe in the GCSE history papers, what motivated it? Was it a success? And I honestly hope it is. You know, I honestly hope it is. I honestly hope we build back out an economy to rival that of Europe. We make ourselves an independent sovereign nation with a belting economy and, a, and a, make ourselves a put ourselves on a podium and everyone wants to deal with us, everyone wants to come to see us. Unfortunately, I have my doubts. But we'll leave it to that. It's not really a debate as such. I think we'll probably come on to that next week. But five years since Brexit on Monday. And Nigel Farage as well came out and said that 70% of people now support Brexit. And where did they get that number from? The Express themselves said 51% would support Remain now. Where does Nigel Farage get 70% from? I have no idea. I think he plucks numbers from the sky sometimes. 350 million for the NHS. That's another one. That's another one. Um, just to touch on America now. Uh, rising crime in America. Uh, Biden promising a 350 billion splurge on policing. Uh, we can't turn our backs on law enforcement. Quite powerful, that, because, of course, BLM's a huge thing in, in America as well with the, with the whole George Floyd incident. But I think I'm with Biden here, you know, even though there's been suggestion to defund the police and do this from 
BLM themselves, you can't really in America for all the racial injustices that, that have happened at the hands of the police. There's also probably a lot of good police officers that are just do, diligently trying to do their job. Re-education is important, but also having those people in place on the whole across all of the states in America is really key, especially when you know gun gun crime is so prevalent and guns are legalized i think to defund the police in in a country like america would be crazy would be crazy reform yes education reform yes defund no i think they need to build the trust back about the police and it's promising that biden doesn't want to turn back on on, on law enforcement because again i think defund the police you have a whole heap of other problems um and you know, you don't want that. And I also think the same in the UK, really. I don't think it should be defunding the law enforcement within the UK. Different situation altogether. But again, we see in big cities knife crime. We see people feeling unsafe. We need to have a strong law enforcement in the UK as well. So I don't buy into defunding it, but I do buy into re-educating, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's it, really. Um, short and well, as I say. Uh, talking about all things COVID, a little bit on Brexit. Waffled a bit on Brexit, really. Uh <laughs> but we'll, it would be so much better to hit one back and forth on that one. Uh, you can't summarize, I can't summarise Brexit in five, ten minutes. It's too much. It's too much. I'll probably next week, tell you what, we might do a full Brexit special. Maybe. When Adam's back. But as you can tell, the stutters, the false starts, it's so hard with Brexit. I've got a whole list of notes in front of me. Spider diagrams, what I want to say. And I just keep pinging from each of them because it's such a complicated uh, enigma. And I don't think anyone truly fully understands it. And yeah, madness. It is ab it's one of the biggest political decisions in, in the 21st century, if not the biggest in the UK. It's the biggest in the UK. Um, and it'll define us for a very long time, rightly or wrongly. It will define us for a very, very long time because we have made this bed. We are lying in it. We can't really have another referendum because democracy would be undermined. But I am sceptical about the foundations of democracy anyway, given how mindsets are controlled. But again, that's another debate. That's another debate. We'll end on a bit of a funny, I suppose. Um, it's just, just a general observation from me, really. I... I listening to the radio this week capital radio actually other radio stations are available like that one from student radio offcom bailrig fm and it always amuses me actually um the the text fee the text rate when you are when you're supposed to answer a, a message and you go into a prize draw so currently if, if capital ring you up and you uh you say capital give me the cash they give you a whole heap of money usually about twenty thousand pounds it costs you two pounds to enter that with a text message if you get the answer correct and usually the answer is something like well today it was what color card is it in football when a player gets sent off i mean i think that's obvious i think anyone that doesn't know football's obvious i think the mundanity of some of these questions obviously enticing you to pay two pounds into that pot of money it is quite amusing and it does make me laugh i mean uh, yeah, outrageous. Just some of the easiest questions in the whole. I mean, that was probably one of the harder ones. But I heard questions where they come on the TV and it says how many cubes are on the TV and then two cubes come on and then they stay on for about 10 minutes. And then after that, it says, um, 
oh, text costs £6.50 or something crazy like that. You know, it's um, it does make me laugh. I do wonder how many people go into those competitions. And we also speculate in the office, does the, does the winners actually come from there or is it someone in-house? Who knows? That would no. I imagine it's not in house. That would be a, a crazy, a crazy thing. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, not at all. But join us next week, proper show next week. Big debate, probably a bit on Brexit because we, again, I want to collect my thoughts. I want to debate it with someone instead of sporadically going at the pros, the cons, and the and what it might have done well. Uh, but yeah, until then, stay safe uh, and keep. Well, give us a give us a review if you want. Give us a review. Stay safe. Please subscribe uh, because most of the time it's not just me talking and wittering on to you. Usually we've got some good debate with Adam, with Gus, with other people on here as well. So like, well, you can't like it, but maybe you can. Maybe give it a, give it a star rating. Give it a review. Give it a sub. Give us a subscribe, and maybe even follow at Pint and Paul on Twitter because you know what? Maybe that needs that account needs some reinvigorating and it needs some followers. So, smashing everyone. See you soon.